Hey kids, this is Robin Smith from Smith Falls, professional voice actor. And you're listening to The Geo Show. <laughs> the Geo Show. 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 Hey, The Geo Show. Yeah. And hello and welcome to the Geo Show. We are back for season two. I am your host and master of ceremonies, GOP. And joining me today via the phone is quite a special guest. Uh, I have with me Robin Smith. He is a voice actor and he actually, interestingly enough, uh, was alumni of the Algonquin College uh, radio program. And uh, which is uh, the same program I graduated from and lots of uh, my other guests on the show also graduated from. Radio and television. Yes, radio and television. Um, (laughs) It was was quite different from what I hear. So let's let's actually start with that. So what what inspired you to take uh, that program? Uh, Just uh, I wanted to uh, get into uh, the field of broadcasting. Mm -hmm. I saw Saturday Night Live and I thought they were funny. And apparently, uh, Tom Green was in the same course as myself, uh, so some things have uh, gone out of there that were good and some not, but, you know, hey. But Saturday Night Live, one of your big inspirations for uh, wanting to pursue, I guess, kind of television production kind of stuff? Oh, yeah. You had uh, Dana Carvey and uh, you had, uh, well, Mike Myers, who was just like a downtown or a down-home Canadian boy to begin with. Uh, Phil Hartman from Ontario as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you had all these, and Lauren Michaels, who started the whole thing. Um, he was kind of like the pivotal the guy, the producer. So I thought, well... This, if this kid can come from here, maybe this kid can go from here. Whatever. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Never count yourself short, basically. And what was it like uh, going into the program at first? Did you find it intimidating getting in there, or was it uh, was it easy to adjust? Easy well, it was adjust? neat. It was neat because uh, there was people from everywhere. Uh, you had Lori Graham, from, and she was on CBC the longest time and now she's a politician of some sort out in sydney um nova scotia i believe and uh you had uh, anna pavicevich who was the yugoslavian ambassador's daughter and she wanted to do it because like she just wanted to get into uh you know cinematography and stuff like that um but she would sit there and see me in the morning and go Robin, you will give me cigarette and we will go to Walter's Alley? <laughs> I mean, and you can't design a voice like that. She just pure Yugoslavian. And we became the best of friends in the world. But so, what I'm saying is, at the crux of it was, there was people from all over this great nation of ours and from other nations, too, and it just kind of got me into the mix because I was from Smith Falls and nothing wrong with that. But now you had this whole other equation of all these other people. And by the way, do they still call it Vulture's Alley? I haven't you I haven't heard that term being used, so I'm going to assume not, unfortunately. But... <laughs> you poor thing, you. The crazy thing is, is that the location of it is in a whole different part of the school now. I, I've I heard, at least from my professor, oh, it, is. it used to be in the basement, and now yeah, that that section is a student uh, support center, and we're in like a whole extension. It's called the Art and uh, Design uh, Building, and we're in. Uh, we're uh, kind of, I wouldn't, I'm not sure how I'd really describe it, but it's near there, but like in a whole separate other building, like probably a five minute walk, but it's, uh, it's quite the, it's, it's quite the different location. And uh, we're across from the art, I guess the art uh, students, the animation students, and they often get mad that we're uh, playing our music too loud, at least when I was in the program. Oh, darn. Really Nothing wrong with that. It's really unfortunate for, you know, a music station to be playing music too loud, but... Oh, well, hey, 
I came from J106, so I know all about how bad it is to get told to turn your stuff off. And what was that? Le- you So you started uh, off at uh, Shea. Um, that's a pretty big music station in Ottawa, at least for uh, metal and rock. Uh, what was it like there? What what were you doing there? Well, to be honest, I started at CJet. After I got out of Algonquin, I was laying carpet. One of our jobs was to lay carpet in this radio station, CJet, in Smith Falls. CJet uh, and CFMO. It was two stations at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you had a 100,000-watt station on one side, and you had 10,000 on the other side. CJET, which was country, uh, whatever. Hurting country, real hurting country. Um, and then you had uh, CFMO, which was uh, David Bowie. It was right across the board. So uh, it was quite the mixture between the two stations being within 30 feet apart because I had to uh, be the uh, writer at first. Um, so when I'm laying the carpet, the, the lady Donna Donaldson was uh, lamenting about the fact that they didn't have enough copywriters. And I said, well, I just took the broadcasting course. And she kind of looked at me like, yeah, whatever. And you're laying carpet. And she said, well, can you write copy? And I said, yeah, oh, give it a try. And I did. And my first script was Argo's Carpet. Now, I don't know if they're still in business, but uh, basically it was Argo's Carpets. Can you hear the thunder? And it was the sound of carpets being rolled out. And so I made this big effect and... uh, ran it past the uh, production manager and he said, yeah, sure, whatever. (laughs) He didn't care. But I remember that being my first piece of copy that got onto the air. And at that point, she just said, yeah, sure. Okay, you got the job. Boom. You're good. So I wrote for about two years and then I got the job as production manager because John Crow. Uh, left us for Focus on the Family down in the States, which is a huge corporation. And uh, he was a good guy to work with, too. And through just interacting with him in my term as a copywriter, I was able to see how he worked all the knobs and things in the uh, production room. So when he left, uh, there was a obviously a void um, so I jumped into that void and became production manager where I stayed for a good eight years um, and was in charge of all the talent um, coming in after their shifts and, and voicing commercials uh, they weren't paid for it which nobody knows about that kind of stuff but that was part of their contract was you do your shift then you come in you voice a few ads then you leave and you're good um and then it was my job and this was cutting tape and you know all the (laughs) stuff that you wouldn't be able to have with uh, pro tools or anything like that today uh so you were cutting tape and you were putting in uh, sound effects and putting echo in wherever you wanted to um, and, uh, yeah, it was just a matter of, uh, you had a certain bundle of things to do in that day to get on air. And that was for both stations at the same time. And then, uh, there was the matter of, uh, uh Stuart Phillips, uh, was the head writer at Shea and, uh, he fell sick, um, and they needed uh, polyfilla, basically, and I was the human polyfilla, and uh, they said to me, well, uh, we're glad you're production manager here, but we need somebody up up in the mothership right now. And I really didn't have any, you know, qualms about it, but I also didn't 
have this fantasy of going up there either, um, because it was uh, it wasn't daunting at all. It was radio, like radio is radio, and once you figure that out, and uh, you know you've got Diane and uh, accounting, and you have <laughs> Louise in sales, and it, you know you just have all this this family that you've grown to love. And uh, it's kind of like you're going from one family to another family. So, yes, I did move to Shea, and it was a rock station. Uh, I used to listen to The Bear, which really, really pissed off the uh, production manager. He He would say to me, like, why are you listening to The Bear? And I said, because they're playing good music. We're going to play Rhiannon in 14 minutes. I know it. <laughs> and sure enough, Rhiannon by Fleetwood Mac would come on in 14 minutes. And he would just hang his head in shame. And I'm like, this is all programmed. It's too pre-programmed. Forget it. I don't need this crap. Uh, so just let me do what I do, and away we go. Because I had already seen... Uh, through the curtain, basically. I had been uh, working at the Land of Oz for 10 years. And so when I got to Shea, I kind of went, mm, no, you're not going to fool me. I'm not going to get fooled again, which you'll pl- probably play in about five minutes by the who. <laughs> um, but it's just a matter of you had to dig in and say, okay, I want to do uh, comedy skits. And so I was able to with the morning show. Like everybody said, oh, you do funny voices. Uh, here you go. Uh, you can do this. Yeah. Whatever. But they didn't understand what they had just unleashed. Because what I did was I worked on all the uh, people on air usually have a very large uh, ego. And so to take care of that, you would say, I'm going to write a promo for you. And, of course, they were all in, okay? Shelley Hartman, uh, well, Jeff Winter was never a big ego head, but he went for it. He thought, well, why not? You know, you're giving some promotion to the people on air. And And then there was Janice Dean back in the day. She went on to be on the Don Imus show. <laughs> I won't even get into that. But anyways, uh, I used to listen to her when I was at CJAT, and I went, how the hell did she get on the morning show? And then it turned out that I was working with her. And when I started working with her, I realized that the whole thing was just like basically a facade, and uh, you know, she was just putting on airs and... Uh, we turned out to be fast friends, and I was able to make uh, promos that mocked her and the way she was, or as everybody thought she was kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, it, things went swimmingly after that. It was good. It's just weird how uh, things work out. So I went from the one family to the next family, uh, basically. And uh, everything worked out good. What was it like uh, doing, you mentioned you were doing those kind of uh, comedy bits or uh, edited bits for uh, the station. What what were some of the pieces that you created and uh, how how did you, uh, what gave you the inspiration, I guess, to write them? Uh, just funny little blurps in my head kind of thing. I was, uh, well, I think you heard Aces in the Hole. Yes. Okay. Well, that was based on... Um, any of those Stacy Keach type of uh, detective uh, genre things. Tonight at 9, T and A and E presents a gripping modern-day thriller. He's a down-and-out gynecologist turned detective. She's an up-and-coming proctologist with an itchy trigger finger. Together, there's no crack they can't case. Brian Dennehy, Ann Archer, Aces in the Hole, Tonight on T and A and E. You know, so 
I just thought, like, oh, that's kind of funny. And then I did a thing called Pope Fiction um, Schindler's Other List, which is just a German uh, talking about his... Uh, I had an actual grocery list, and I was sitting there going, Great Pop Dots. And I'm just reading a list. Schindler's Other List. So it was just stupid stuff, really. Because... After writing all these car ads and uh, furniture ads and everything else, and, and you were writing for everybody across Ottawa, mm-hmm. really. Uh, so it was just cut and dried at that point. I mean, you might put a ding-dong at the beginning of every commercial just to say, oh, there's somebody at the door. Well, there's a premise. So you go from there. But I thought, like, okay... Now we have an opening so we can do uh, skits uh, based on, um, like, Brian Mulroney was in office at that point, and uh, it just, it behooved me to make fun of somebody like that, who was basically bilking the Canadian people to get his uh, book and pay for his legal damages. I just thought, like, this is not... And we were sitting in the shadow of Parliament at that point. Like, we were on 126 York Street in Ottawa. For this to be happening right in the shadow where we were, I was like, no, I'm not putting up with this crap. So I was making fun of Cratchan. I was making fun of everybody I possibly could because... They needed it. There was no way I could stand it. I was only uh, maybe 22 at the point at that point, and uh, I just kind of went, forget it. I'm not putting up with this crap um, anymore. I'm I'm going to make fun of them. And the program director came in to me and said, don't do that, you know, you know, because they all had friends in politics or whatever. And, Whatever, but then you'd have people like Shelley Hartman, who would play my Gretchen Strikes Back or my Brian Buffoni personal power tape laughingly, and just do it right away. They'd hear it, and then they'd go, "Oh, well, I'm putting that on my show. Can I put that on my show?" I said, "You'll be the first." I said, "You're going to have to take it up with uh, Steve Caldwell," but uh, yeah, go ahead, and she did. And the first thing she played was uh, Lawyers, Guns, and Money by uh, Warren Ziva, which was perfect. And I remember sitting there. It was 5.30 at night. I even got them to change the uh, when Cindy Woods used to go to do the news. Instead of having uh, just like this little beep, beep, beep thing, I had them uh, play Hell's Bells. The beginning of Hell's Bells by ACDC, because we were, in fact, a rock station, so why not? And so that was how the news was introduced for about two years. Anyways, I had better shut up. <laughs> no, no, please. It's 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 great to hear this stuff. Um, mostly interesting, because this is like kind of radio before a... Or, stuff that I would never get to hear. So it's cool to hear uh, stories behind it, but, uh, God, yes. I'm only telling you the stuff that can be, uh, put on air. Now, uh, I haven't got to the chapter where I started being Thomas. Have I? So how did that come along though? How did that uh, kind of fall into your lap? It didn't. It really was a matter of when I was doing the voices at Shea, uh, for the morning show, and uh, when you wrote a piece, you had to have uh, somebody to do the voice. So if you want to a, a German voice or something like that, well, you have to get somebody that can do it. But then it turned out that, you know, the, the jocks knew that they weren't getting paid any extra for doing any silly voices, so they just said, no, let the guy who wrote it do it. So I had to learn real quick how to do all the voices. And uh, 
after seeing all these people from working at CJET, attacked the mic, and, you know, I, I knew how to uh, get your face around the mic, as it were. You just had to basically uh, do it. So it was uh, forced. Once I got it, and there's no way you can run away from it or get rid of it. It's just there. And uh, so I started uh, doing these voices, and I was always making a demo tape just to prove versatility and whatever. Because everybody else was Rob Radio. They could go on the air all the time with the stacks and stacks of wax. Ready to go. But, you know, I just, I was more into doing esoteric pieces so uh, yeah I uh, sent my demo tapes out to uh, well there was one place that was right below Shea but they wouldn't accept anybody from radio because they didn't want it they just didn't have any time for me and then all of a sudden I sent my uh, tape out to uh, oh god GAPC and Atomic Production. And uh, Atomic took to me right away. I was watching a show on Sunday nights called Kevin Spencer. I thought, well, really weird. Wow, they get away with a lot of shit there. Well, hmm. I'd like to be on that. So I got an agent, and uh, he sent out my tape. And Greg Lawrence called me and said, yeah, uh, we're going into season two. And we need somebody with your versatility because we're going to be adding a lot of characters. So would you be into that? And I said, yeah, for sure. Right on. And uh, so I started on Kevin Spencer, and I stayed there for about eight years, seven, eight years at least. And, uh, yeah, that just afforded me the ability to uh, do like three or four different characters per session. So you'd be like this really stone guy. <laughs> or you'd be an old lady at the same time. Or you'd be a man like this. I mean, it didn't matter. They would just pick the characters. If you could do the voice for them, you were the voice. And then away you go. And then uh, Shay decided that, well, Shay didn't decide anything. Rogers bought them out. So I was booted. So I was flying adrift, basically. Uh, and this would have been about 2000. And what happened was I had my agent send my, because I was done. I was like, oh, it's stupid. I already moved here to this place just so I could get knocked out by Rogers. And I sent uh, my thing over to Architect Studios, Richard Cooper, who used to be in the Cooper Brothers. Anyways, he started listening to my thing and he said, well, I've got uh, about five different projects and they were all computer game oriented. And these are guys that were working on, like, reboots of Qbert at the time, and they had, like, 150 people in stalls that were just, like, everywhere. It was nuts. But he looked at me, and he said, I want you to do some voices game. Uh, uh, yeah. I said, what? What? Alien Invasion. Okay, yeah, sure, whatever. So I put it up an option when I was like this, and I hadn't talked like that the whole time. But it was <laughs> and that worked. And then he said, okay, uh, now we're doing Monopoly. Uh, so I had to go like into this Clint Eastwood voice and uh, talk like that for a while. And uh, yeah. He was the horse um, in the Monopoly game. And then I got to be the race car 
Well, the trucks go on really like this, too. He was like, Don, not Don, not. Um, so, yeah, I got to be the race car in the first Monopoly game that was ever made for computer games. And then they kept on uh, rolling out these computer games. So I was like, okay, right on. And then I did uh, Raise the Tell, which uh, was, I own sleep. I'm the guy that's going to get you through the game if you listen to me right, okay? So very cockney and very guttural and all that stuff. And uh, They had me in motion capture with my face, like they would actually videotape my face, and then would work off the, uh, like, just the movement of my cheeks and my eyebrows and everything else to get the most realistic look so they'd go like that um and so that was really fun and raises hell came out about 10 months later and it was on xbox and i was just i just got an xbox wow i'm playing me on a game (laughs) that's cool but for the thing with the monopoly i had a part called money bags the guy that you know carries the money around with the mustache yeah and i did this voice and dick says oh, wait uh, we already gave it to uh, dave mccollum and i knew dave and i thought well, he deserves it that's good that's good and he says no but we can use you for something else and i said what and he said, oh, we got a little project with Thomas, friend. And that was it. So, so Topham Hat was born right there and then. Just, just doing that voice, it's amazing, but it's just... Well, get used to it, Sonny. You'll be okay. <laughs> I'm sure you were prepared for this. I, I thought I was. It's just, it's crazy hearing you do the voice, but... I'll call you a very useful engine. <laughs> so yeah, Dick heard that voice and he went, oh yeah, 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 I know where I want to use that. And then they said, can you do Cranky? Can you do Thomas? Can you do this? Can you like be a six-year-old? I can be a six-year-old boy. Yes, of course. I can be Thomas. Yes, of course. Yes, you're good. You're very good. <laughs> and so it just all kind of wound up into a ball and he sent it off to uh, San Francisco and they said, you have this guy in Ottawa? Yeah. Well, can he fly over to Soho in London? I don't see why not. So there you go. Boom. Next thing you know, I had uh, plane tickets in my hand and a per diem and a full nine yards. He was nuts. And that was when the, uh, it just kind of like, I didn't even think about working at Shea anymore. It was just afterthought. I forget it. Yeah, that was nice, but here we go. And after that, it was just like years and years of going back and forth to London or San Francisco to work at, uh, who's the guy that made, uh, The Godfather? <laughs> Jeez, I'm, I'm not sure. Anyways, that's where I worked at And it was in the basement of his restaurant. And uh, the name will come to me, no problem. It, so anyway, I, I had all these uh, people from different companies saying, well, we want Thomas on this. We want Thomas on this. So... I was kind of like the point guard for it. Like, okay, they would throw it to me and say, okay, well, Robin, you've got a gig in uh, San Fran or you've got a gig in Austin or you've got a gig in London. Uh, Which one do you want this week? And so you just go with the flow, basically. Uh, Luckily, these days, you don't have to do all this uh, traveling is either good or bad, but I wouldn't want to be doing it during a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, But definitely it it was fun when it happened, that's for sure, because you never would have the opportunities that I had 
to see the world. It was just, and it was at your own, it was at your own pace, basically. Like, you got to go to these places, and uh, if you wanted to take a day off, no problem. They'd set you up for two weeks in the poshest motels in the world, and they would just say, if we have any redos, we'll call you, and you come in to, and they'd make sure that the, uh, the recording studio, like Soho, was about uh, three blocks away from the Thistle Marble Arch where I was in London. And so they would just say, okay, we're ready to go. And uh, you would sprint across the road, and there you went. For the things that I did in uh, San Francisco or Los Angeles, it was just, uh, it was all set up perfectly. Like, so you didn't have to worry about it. Now, I'm going to take a second. Francis Ford Coppola, American Zoetrope Studios. That's where I worked at, in San Francisco, where Robin Williams had worked the day before me uh, doing stuff for Bicentennial Man. He was doing ADR work. So anyways, uh, I said to the guy, and this is in the middle of recording some Thomas stuff for Itsy Bitsy Entertainment, and I said, I, I got to go to the John, man. He said, oh, yeah, it's just over there to the right. I walk into the wrong room, and it's a, a film bay. And it has all these things, like all these real, like, great big massive canisters for film. And one of them says, Apocalypse Now, number one. Apocalypse Now, number two. <laughs> wow yeah and I walk out the door I go back in and I'm like dude he's got apocalypse now sitting on the floor he said, yeah that's where he stores them here <laughs> <laughs> and I thought like these are two of the biggest pieces of movie memorabilia in the world and they're just shoved across this this floor so that was when I kind of got a hint of how big this stuff was. In fact, the guy thought I was Robin Williams because my name was Robin, or is Robin, and uh, he didn't even look up. He just went, okay, Robin, uh, here we go. We're going to go with the Thomas stuff today. And he looks up, and he sees me. He says, oh, you're not the same Robin. I said, will I do? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, don't work, though. American Zoetrope. That is the name of the studio. Anyways, I think I bored you enough. No, I, I, it's very interesting. You mentioned that this is just like, obviously just a huge thing to overtake, like just bigger than anything that Shay and stuff. But what was it, for doing the first project, what was it like? Were you kind of like familiar with kind of like the franchise? Was it hard to get into it or was it like... Uh, what was it like kind of doing those voices for the first time? No, they just showed you a picture and uh, you went with what your gut was. Um, after, I, I'm glad I had that time in radio, of course, because if I hadn't, I would have been dead in water. But luckily, it was just kind of a gun, gun shot. You just saw the character and you started doing it. That's how it worked. It was uh, a matter of, yeah, and, and of course, the first time in London, I was at a B and B with my girlfriend, and I was chagrined, and I was like, "Whoa, God, how, I don't even know where I'm going." I'm looking at the bloody map, and I uh, no idea how to get from West London to uh, middle, the middle of London, to Piccadilly Circus, and then Regent Street, and uh, to Soho, with this really tiny street. And the studio was the vocal suite. I had to, you know, muster up all the <clears throat> energy in my body to get in there. And then right before I walked into the studio, I was like, just 
filled with anxiety because I had no idea what was going on there or what was going to be going on. And of course, I turned around, walked out, composed myself, walked in the door, and there was all these, like, nerdos sitting there with their laptops, early laptops, so they were really big. Um, and they're all looking at me, like, on some kind of PA. So now I'm getting orders, like I'm a waiter. They're going, yeah. Gotta get a, yeah, one of those cones. Gotta get a T, double, double. And I'm looking at them like, what the hell? I'm the talent. You know, I'm the dude on the per diem. You're not. And then all of a sudden, uh, the director, Margaret, comes in from the other side of the studio, some kind of a back door. Oh, Robin, could you made it across the pond? <laughs> and you've never seen so many laptops shut quickly, swiftly in your life. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I was the guy, right? So I kind of put the shoe on the other foot. And so I was like, okay, Timmy, the guy that just asked me for a copy, you get me a copy right now, double, double. And you, can you uh, move that cable, please? Please get it out of my way. I'm going to trip over it. That wouldn't be good. So I got to be an asshole right after that. It was, <laughs> it was like the shoes on the other foot here. But I was in my, you know, in their defense, I guess. I was just a skinny white guy. And they were expecting this great big person to come in that looked like Pearl Ives wasn't that at all. Skinny white guy Canadian, Smith Balls. And I was talking exactly the same way as I am now. So it was uh, kind of scary for them at first, but once Margaret walked into that door and introduced me to them, <laughs> the whole different barrel of monkeys. Everything falls into place, as they say. Yes, and uh, well, it very redeeming for me because I just thought, oh God, I can't think. I've gone through hoops to get here in the first place and now I'm being asked to get somebody some scones. No. <laughs> <laughs> this ain't happening at all. It was good to have Margaret come in. And as soon as she did, you know, we sat down for about 10 minutes and looked at some of the characters and she said, well, whatever you want, uh, you try it out and We'll work with it, and then we did eight straight hours of uh, voicing, and that was one of the first projects I came up with, and uh, then after that, it was uh, sometimes over the phone, and sometimes I had to go back to uh, Britain to do it, but she was always there, and she would just nod. That was it. It was just this little nod. He would do the voice, and... She would nod. <laughs> and if she didn't like it, she'd just kind of go, like, raise the uh, eyebrows, much like the queen would do, kind of thing. And, like, you're getting close. Like, a fly was about to land on her head, kind of thing. She was just, no. But, and then, when you get the voice right, like, crack it a crane. Uh, she would go, mm. and she would just, you know, nod her head. And, yeah, you were in the zone completely. Because I, I was doing Cranky the Crane, and uh, she didn't want him to be too mean, because kids would get scared. You can't do it so they're scared. And I was like, Cranky the Crane, like, and she, she didn't like that. So I kind of changed it to uh, Uncle Charlie, uh, from my three sons. I love you boys, but I gotta clean all these pots and pans every night. Oh, God. So, as long as there was love involved with Cranky, then you were off. You were good. Uh, but, yeah, and all the other voices just kind of fell into place. I could do it Irishman right away. It wasn't a problem whatsoever. 
My name is Robin Kelsmith, so that's no problem. And the Scotsman? Well, what's easy. I mean, I've got all three British Isles taken care of just in my name alone. So for this, you worked on a ton of projects doing these voices, like just even even stuff that I was uh, watching as a kid. You were doing like the computer games, uh, the DVD menus and the DVD games and even some of the toys. And it was like amazing. It was like and what I was saying, it was amazing about the Sir Topham Hat voice you did is for me. I would always hear that one. And I thought that was like, personally, as a kid, I thought that was like the peak voice of him doing the show. Did you, was it like, how did you eventually just decide there was enough Thomas, you did enough Thomas stuff or was it just cut from hit entertainment or? Oh no, uh, hit got bought exactly like uh, Shay got bought by Rogers. Hit got bought by Mattel. And Mattel only does two things, Barbie and Hot Wheels. They don't really know how to do Thomas. Check it out. So to this day, a billion-dollar enterprise, they threw the baby out with the bathwater as far as I'm concerned. But there's a lot of money to be made in Thomas, and they haven't even scraped the surface of it. So, yeah, I'm kind of like, whatever you have experienced from me, it's like the tip of the iceberg. That's about 10% of my work, maybe, and 90% of it is submerged, and you don't have any idea of it. I probably have no recollection of it. But at the same time, I was doing stuff for uh, all the galleries, uh, all the museums in Ottawa, okay? Mm -hmm. That was a really good gig, a constant gig was doing like a geological session for uh, the Museum of Nature just off the Queensway. Oh, yeah. And then the, uh, well, I had to go down this super escalator for the uh, the one in Gatineau, uh, the one in Hull. Oh, yeah. Museum of Civilization. Oh, that's, that's a beautiful one. I love that one. Yeah, so I was working with uh, Dave Devey at that point, and uh, yeah, you had to take the security elevator, and then you got in a golf cart, and you drove through all the up-and-coming random exhibitions that they were going to have, stuff like that. And then um, you would get to this little booth, and that's where I would always my stuff, but... It was neat, because you'd walk through the museum, and at this point I was going out with a girl that didn't really understand what the hell I did, but (laughs) we walked into a room, and you could hear my voice permeating through the room, and she looks at me like, that's you! Yeah, glad you clued in. (laughs) Duh. But, I mean... That had more of uh, an effect on me because I thought that's cool, like to be in a museum of civilization or something like that, or museum of nature, or any of the mu- any museum I was in. And then I started doing uh, government ads um, at GAPC. I became very good friends with uh, Robin Dumas, and he's uh, an excellent producer, by the way. Um, and, uh, yeah, we hit it off and had lots of fun, and it was just cool stuff. And he said, yeah, well, when we get put in the museum, I'll, I'll give you some free tickets to it, and away we go. So, yeah, that was that was really neat. And, of course, there was, like, the regular ads that you had to do with, you know, people know that you can do it, that you don't have to do any auditions anymore. And auditions were always the stupidest part of the whole game, was going in and trying. Like, Sound Venture was the place where I couldn't get in at first because they thought I was a radio, a Rob Radio type. Well, time for me whatsoever, and I'm like, I can do so much market scrap. So, the place that I was going into in my early days in radio, giving them the demo tape that they never listened to, they just threw it in the garbage right away. 
Now they were calling me to come in and voice. And so it was a complete turnaround. And uh, yeah, uh, like everybody said, oh, you got to get the sound venture. Make it there. You can make it anywhere. And I'm like, well, I don't want to. You know, I've hit that. I was like a bug that kept getting hit on the dashboard. And I was like, no, I'm done with this. And then all of a sudden, the guy that ran the place phoned me up. That, oh, yeah, we need you uh, right away. Yeah, yeah. And I was living on Clarence Street, right? So two blocks away, I jumped on my bicycle, and <laughs> I was there. And kept working there for about four years, right underneath Jack. <laughs> Very weird how the whole thing works, sir. People say you start at the bottom and you get to the top, but you technically started at the started at the second floor, went to the bottom one in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they also say karma is a bitch and whatever. It's supposed to be a bad thing that hits you, but sometimes it's like the uh, the water goes away and then the water comes back in. So you put a little ship in the bottle. And then the tide goes out, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait. And if you wait long enough, the tide will come back in, and the bottle will be there with a message for you. So it's just a matter of, uh, you know, don't worry so much about it. Just let things happen as they happen, and things are going to be all right. Now my uh, my next question, or I guess one of my last ones, is what's it? What are you up to nowadays? Do you, do you still do uh, the voice acting work, or where uh, where are you uh, working now? Oh, I just do uh, little blurbs for people here and there. I also, uh, like I've taught in my long professional life. Uh, you know, I've taught how to do voice acting, which is like somebody like you. I would grab and just put them in a corner and say, okay, grab some comic books or grab a book and find a character you like and then become that character and do it in front of me. I will get that character out of you. So yeah, that's that's uh, voice teaching. Um, I also do uh, shout-outs to uh, people. I've done it for kids at Chio and stuff like that. But that's all freebie stuff. But there is stuff where um, people say, you know, Oh, could you phone my kids? They really love the voice. <laughs> and so basically what I say is, okay, give me the name of the kid. Give me their favorite color. Give me their favorite activity. I used to say hobbies, but most kids at the age of two or three don't have hobbies. They have activities that they like. They have to keep that in mind. And then the clincher at the end is, uh, and your mom and dad love you very much and always will. And there you go, and boom. So that's a message to the kid, and then they play it over and over and over again, and drives their mother and father crazy, and I don't care, but (laughs) they're the ones that asked me to do it. So yeah, it's uh, that's the way it works. And there's a lot of people like yourself that are coming through this, you know, the riptide effect of the. The tide is coming back in, and you're, what What age are you now? I am 20, going on 21 in June. Okay, so there's people of your age that grew up with my voice that want to hear this kind of stuff. And it's, you know, it's overjoying for me, because it's kind of a trendy little thing that I can do. And uh, you give me your favorite color and your favorite hobby and I'll give you a special message so favorite color I'd have to go I guess orange and for favorite hobby I'd have to say probably doing radio work and your mom and dad are still alive and yes they are indeed they're downstairs right now not downstairs but they're just downstairs in the house I'm upstairs okay 
Here you go. Hello there, Geo. This is Sir Topmat. I have a friend that told me that you love the color orange. Well, orange is the best color in the world. It's the color of the sun. Well, at least when it's sunset or sudden. Guys, yes. And I hear you also like radio, which is a very good thing, because when you put your voice on radio, it sends your voice off into the cosmos forever and ever. And somewhere a million years from now, somebody will hear your voice and be ignited in some way. And remember, your mommy and daddy love you very much and always will. Bye now. This is a top net. Wonderful. Oh, that's beautiful. See? Now you can see why people pay for that. And I will I will treasure that audio clip forever. <laughs> Good. All right. Well, first, I just want to say thank you for coming on. I really appreciated it. It's just great to talk to you. Nice to get some. I have some alumni on the show. Nice to get some real uh, big alumni who've been in the field. Thank you so much for coming on the show and all the best. Yes, sir. Take care. So if anyone out there is interested in having Robin Smith do a personalized message for them, you can reach out through email at rsvoice at iCloud.com. That is R-S-V-O-I-C-E at iCloud, I-C-L-O-U-D dot com. So shoot him an email. I definitely love the one he made me and I bet you will too. And if you're looking for a good hands-off coffee experience in Ottawa, look no further than the Daily Grind. The Daily Grind Coffee Company of Ottawa provides Starbucks quality coffee at a Tim Hortons price. Each coffee is made automatically by machine with no human contact at all. You can find all of their machines at the Collab Space on Bondgard Avenue, Vital Therapy on Spratt Road and in Findlay Creek, Rona Hardware on Merivelle, CrossFit by Town Gym on Somerset, and coming soon to Oil Changers on Woodruff in February. And you can visit them online at the Daily Grind Coffee Company.ca. And that was it for that episode of The Geo Show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for my guest, Robin Smith, for coming on. If you'd like to learn more about the show, check out the Facebook page. Just look up The Geo Show. We're also on Instagram. It is all one word, at The Geo Show Official. And remember, it's Geo as in G-I-O, not G-E-O. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. I am at Petty, P-E-T-T-I underscore G-O-G-I-O. And yeah, so check out the show. More episodes coming soon. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes. Uh, we're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. We're taking over the world. So keep listening to the show. Patreon coming soon for extended cuts of the interviews. Thank you for listening. I've been GOP. This has been The Geo Show. Bye for now. The Geo Show. Geo Show. The Geo Show. The Geo Show. Hi there. This is Mitch McConnell. You may recognize me or my voice from somebody that used to be in the American uh, zeitgeist, but no longer am I that. I would like to say... You should listen to the Geo Petty Show. Oh, shit. Is, is this guy Canadian? What the hell?